Jesus. How y'all doing today? Come on. Hey, let me say that again. 7.30 LifePoint crowd. How y'all doing today? Man, this is awesome. Thank you for coming. I need all of you to commit in blood right now that you're going to do this all year. 7.30. You're going to love the rest of your Sunday. Watch what happens. You're going to serve the next service and be gone the rest of the day. You'll beat the breakfast crowd. You guys are thinking, this is brilliant. Why didn't we do this before? <laughs> Welcome to LifePoint Church. My name is Mike. I get to serve as lead pastor here. And what an honor to be with all of you today. And uh, you may have noticed our, our campus pastor, Mark Benton's back in the house, everybody. <laughs> After three months, Mark was away with uh, an army school for chaplaincy. And I guess there's one more step to be fully commissioned or appointed or approved or whatever. But, man, we're so proud of you. Thank you for serving our nation. Thank you for serving our church. We love you, man. It's good to have you back. I was about to get my hair cut into a flat top just to keep the flat top vibe going on stage, but we're glad you brought it back. Yeah, all right. Anyway, hey, um, if this is your first time with us today, we want to say welcome to you, and thanks for being a part of our service in the room or online. And actually, I got a letter in the mail from a family in Montana whose kids were here and told them about the church, and they've been watching faithfully from Montana. So we got a Montana campus, everybody. That's what I'm talking about. We're glad to have you. Wherever you're watching in the world, we're so grateful for you and thankful that we get to do this together. So God bless you. Uh, if you would text the letters LPC to the number 31996, and we just want to send you a quick follow-up link to say welcome and thanks for being here and to connect you to what is your next step, which we again, uh, which again we believe everybody has the next step to take. I want to jump right into Acts 1. We're going to finish out chapter one, uh, before we get there, thank you for your generosity. I'm just convinced that being generous changes people. It blesses people, but it changes us. How many of you know that God is doing a work on the inside of us and something about uh, fighting our predispositions? Like everybody's stingy. Everybody's born that. Everybody wants mine, 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 right? But generosity is one of the ways that God softens that part of us and God changes us. And so as you're becoming tithers and you're giving beyond your tithe, you're giving opportunity for God to transform you. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Bible says God, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. In other words, like sacrifice, especially in the Old Covenant, was valuable, but obedience to God is actually better than the sacrifice that it takes to bring us into obedience. And, and I'm telling you, as you're faithful in your giving, not only are you making a difference, and I talk about that all the time, what we're doing around the world, around the city, around the country, but I think your generosity is making a difference in you as well. So keep it up and thank you so much for your faithfulness to your giving. So we're finishing the book of Acts uh, uh, chapter 1 and this has been a challenging series so far. Thankful to my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, who came last week and brought the heat for us. What a great word. But we're back in, in Acts and we're finishing chapter 1. So far in this chapter we have seen um, the, the, the heart of God to save us by his spirit. We're seeing his promise to give us the power of the Holy Spirit with a mission to reach people for Jesus. If you remember in Acts 1, Jesus said that we will be his witnesses. That is, we are to promote Jesus, to tell others about the Lord, even if it costs us something in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. In other words, uh, we are to start where we are and let God move us where we aren't and pray about where God would send us moving forward. Jesus said that we will be empowered by him to be a witness. It's not even in your own strength. It's in the strength of God. I'm going to amen myself in a minute. It's cool. I'm giving pa like pregnant pauses are for you to amen back to me. Let's try that again. He will give you his spirit to empower you. Amen. See how easy that was? Let's do this together. It's a team effort. 
We'll be empowered to be a witness. The same word that we have for the word witness is the word martyr. And I asked you a couple weeks ago, what has it cost you to tell people about the Lord? What have you given up to make much of Jesus? What are you willing to do so that your neighbors can know the Lord or your coworkers or your family can know God? Would you give towards church planting? Would you serve in your city so that people can know the Lord? Will you sacrifice anything? so that his name can be made known. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my reputation. I don't want to be one of those religious weirdos. What will you give up so that others can know the Lord? Jesus promised that he would give us his Holy Spirit, and he also promised that he has given us a holy assignment to tell people about the, G the gospel of Jesus. And I'm going to keep pushing us on that as a church. Honestly, like I said two weeks ago, if you belong to Jesus, then the Great Commission belongs to you. This is not just a statement for ministers or preachers or pastors. The Great Commission is the Great Commission of God to Christians. And if you've said yes to Jesus, this is part of your life's calling and assignment. You don't get out of it. You don't get to say, well, let the preacher do all the preaching. You are the preacher. You carry the message of hope for this world. And I'm telling you, I think if any time in my life that I've seen a desperate need that our world has for people to have hope, it's now. And so... That's been where we started. You don't get a pass on the gospel because you're not a pastor of a church. So I want to challenge you. Use your platform to talk about Jesus. Tell your coworkers. Tell your colleagues. Don't just talk about Jesus in the church building. Talk about the Lord with those who aren't here and who need it. Tell your colleagues, your coworkers. Tell your commanders. Tell those in your squad. Share the gospel with people. Today, we're finishing chapter 1, and it seems to me this just is such an interesting transitional passage. In fact, this is one of the passages in Acts 1 that... It almost feels like it was written to connect the beginning of Acts 1 to the beginning of Acts 2. And, and some of us read those from here to there kind of passages quickly. But I, I slow read my Bible, right? So, so I take a long time to, to read passages and unpack. Like I've been, I'm probably two hours in the first chapter and a paragraph in the book of Hebrews in my personal study. And I'm just being blown away by what God has shown me uh, through his word in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. But that's for another series. Here we are in chapter 1, finishing, and it looks like just kind of narrative, you know, kind of get to the next chapter language. But I believe the whole Bible is valuable, and I believe the whole Bible is important, even these types of passages why, that we may seem to gloss over. So we're going to look right into the, the end of chapter 1, and I've titled the message, These Are Healthy Commitments for the Church. Healthy Commitments for the Church. They had, uh, in, the, in the early church, they had incredible miracles they had incredible organizational structures that they had to build in. They had some best practices that I believe can serve us today very well. And part of going through this book is I want us to be better as people of God at establishing uh, some, some best practices, some biblical worldview, and all these things in our lives. So uh, one of the first habits or commitments that we're going to see in this passage is a commitment to write devotions. How many of you know you're, you're devoted to certain things? Everybody is. You've got devotions to sports teams, devotions to people, devotions to your career, advancement, your job, your training, all those kind of things. But for the body of Christ, there are some devotions that we need to have that are all the time. They're not just in the church building. Can I just encourage you to not be a compartmentalizer of your faith? Don't be a Christian at church and then not be a Christian everywhere else. So there's some devotions that we have as followers of Jesus, like the Great Commission, like sharing the gospel, right? So as we move forward in this passage, we're going to see the, the New Testament Christians, they, they haven't even received the Holy Spirit yet, and yet they were devoted to some right things. The first thing, uh, it starts in verse 12. We're going to pick up where we left off. 
So if you remember, Jesus has said, stay in Jerusalem till the promise of the Father comes, talking about the Holy Spirit. John baptized you in water. Not many days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is salvation language. The disciples asked him, are you now going to restore your kingdom in Jerusalem? He goes, it's not for you to know. It's none of your business what God's doing. You just be a witness. You will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then it says that Jesus literally ascended to the right hand of the Father, ascended to heaven. And while the disciples were staring into heaven, an angel said, what are you doing staring into heaven? Get to work. Like, get out of here. Go, 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 you know. And so we pick up the story, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, or Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey away. Just right there uh, is an interesting devotion that we pick up from these disciples. And it's that they were devoted to obeying Jesus. I mean, it's so subtle to read this. You, you almost read it like, okay, so they went back to Jerusalem. But in that statement, it's something really profound. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. So they went to Jerusalem to wait. Can I tell you that one of the things missing in our world is obedience to God? Simple obedience, too. We teach our kids, like, delayed obedience is disobedience. They didn't go, well, let's hang out, you know, out here on the Mount of Olives for a couple days, and let's kind of just see, wait and see what happens. They immediately went to Jerusalem. You know why? Because Jesus said to go to Jerusalem. Did it make sense? No. Did they have any tangible proof of what was about to happen? No. Did they have a timeline or a deadline of when the promise was coming? No. But they did what God told them. He said clearly in verse 4, go to Jerusalem and wait. That's what he said to do. That's what they did. In fact, at this point in the text, they've gone and they're waiting, and we see that they end up waiting for like 10 days for the promise of the Spirit to come. And notice all of them went. The next passage shows everybody's names, right? All the 11 remaining disciples, because Judas is dead, he killed himself, and the, the, the other women that were devoted to Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we'll get to that in a second. But they're devoted to just obeying Jesus. He said, go stand in Jerusalem and wait. So they went to Jerusalem to wait. They're willing to obey Jesus. Listen to this. And wait for the promise, even without a when it's going to happen date. Jesus didn't say wait until a certain time. He said wait for a certain event. That is an important distinction and would honestly help many of us walk with patience and trust God better. Some of us really believe that God's promised us, promised us some things, but we struggle with the timeline. Am I talking to anybody but me, right? You can't demand the when when you're waiting on the what from God. Maybe you're waiting on a spouse from God and you really believe that God has a husband or a wife from you. Don't compromise your standards because you don't like the timeline God's giving you. Maybe you're believing God for a new job or a better job, and you really have peace about the provision for you, but don't lose heart and try to hustle and grind your way into God's promotion. Don't get impatient waiting on the timing of God. Perhaps you've tried obeying the Lord in tithing or building a prayer life or serving your neighbors or, or being on a team or better yet, uh, being in a small group, but you're not seeing the results you wanted. Or the timing you want. Can I tell you to stay obedient to God even when the results don't come at your pace? They just went to Jerusalem and waited. That verse, all of us would probably read over like it's just narrative fodder, right? It's like the exposition of a movie. And so Jason Bourne had to travel to Prague. 
Well, there's something special that happens in that Mini Cooper and on his way to Prague. He falls in love with the woman, right? Y'all you know the born identity? Come on. Sometimes the transitional narratives are valuable. That's this verse. So they went to Jerusalem and they waited because Jesus told them to. Can I just challenge you to obey Jesus all the time? And honestly, I'm just going to speak as a pastor here. Very often the folks in our office for counseling are there because they just refuse to obey God. They're there because they just don't want to do what God said or they say, well, it didn't work in the pace that I wanted. And here's, here's, here's kind of the way of Christianity in the South. We all believe in God. We're just not following him as God. But the disciples are showing us something really powerful. Jesus said it, so they did it. Is it that simple? Yep. They didn't have an end date. Can I just encourage you? Obeying Jesus is a devotion that many of us struggle with. You know why? Because we want to be in charge. We want to be kings. We want to set the timelines. But it's still something God expects. Don't lose heart in obeying the Lord. Follow him. Follow his word. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We see that so clearly in Scripture. They were devoted to obeying God. Well, let's read on in verse 13 and 14. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. So they got to Jerusalem. They got into the upper room where they were staying. And then here's the list. Peter. James, John, count them out, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, and I love that Luke goes, the son of James. So there are 11 remaining disciples because Judas Iscariot, the traitor of Jesus, sold him for silver to be betrayed, also part of God's plan. That's a head trip. But he, in his grief, killed himself. We'll talk about that in just a second. But how would you like to be that Judas? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you go to get a loan. It's like, what's your name, please, Judas? What? I mean, not that guy. I'm, I'm, you know what? Just call me Roy. It's just my middle name. I'm going to go by Roy from now on. <laughs> so we got the 11 disciples remaining. And then all of these with one accord. I got a good nerdy Bible joke for you. You ready? Did you know in the Bible they all drove Hondas? Because they were all in one accord. Hey-o! <laughs> it's so dumb, but you'll, you'll use it, I guarantee. You'll be at work and be like, hey, did you know in the Bible they all drove Hondas? <laughs> they were all with one accord. Look here. Does it say some of them, most of them, half of them, 90% of them? All of them. Hey, Christians. This is not even, they don't even have the Holy Spirit yet. And they found themselves obeying Jesus in one accord, all of them. Look at this, devoting themselves to prayer together. And it's inclusive. Like in the ancient culture, like men did their thing, women did their thing, and they're together. This is part of the beauty of Pentecost, that it blurs the lines of gender and race and economic status. It's, it's like, no, 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 we're, we're one now in Jesus. They're all in one accord together with the women. And Mary, Jesus' mom, was there. And guess what she was doing? Worshiping her son. Praying to the Lord. Even his brothers. They were devoted to doing life together. Now, they were obedient to Jesus. 
and they were obedient to doing life with others. They didn't disperse in Jerusalem. They didn't get a bunch of Airbnbs in town. They didn't go, hey, y'all just stay, let's stay in a group text and let's make sure that we don't miss the thing that God says he's going to do. Together, they were devoted to obedience. Together, they were devoted to prayer. Together, they were devoted to doing life. Christians are to do life together with one another. They went together, they stayed together, and they waited together. Let me give you a spoiler about chapter 2. They also received God's promise together. In fact, rarely in the New Testament do you see God doing something miraculous to somebody alone. There's something profound about us doing life together as the body of Christ. We are not meant to do Christianity alone, but in community. Hear me when I say this. God promised to pour out his Holy Spirit, and when he did that, he poured it out to this group of people. This is a shameless plug for me to encourage all of you to be in a small group. It's the best thing we do here. You know what? Can I just, can I just tell you how I really feel about this? I mean, as your pastor, I get... All, all of us as leaders, we just get tired of telling you what's best for you. But I'm just telling you, this is best for you. And I'll keep saying it. Small group life is the best life for you. What's interesting is we find small groups in every other area of our lives. You got friends that are Cleveland Browns fans? I mean, there ain't a lot of them, but there's a few of them. <laughs> and what do you do? You go find them on Facebook. Or you find friends that you graduated high school with. And you find them on Facebook. And we love to group up with people that we have like commitments to and like things with, whether they're colleagues from work or we like the same sports teams or whatever. But in faith, we go, no, 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 that's private. No, it is not meant to be private. Keep your sports fandom private if you want, especially Alabama people. Keep that to yourself. <laughs> But your faith is meant to be lived out in community. And that devotion is in the New Testament. You never see these people get out of that devotion. Christians, you are meant to do life with other people. Being a small group, many of the blessings of God in the New Testament happen to more than one person. If you're not in a group, you're missing a primary devotion of New Testament Christianity. You can get on our website right now, even online. We have online groups for you. They meet on Zoom. They meet digitally. I don't care how you meet. Just meet with other people. Pray together. Look what they were devoted to. Prayer. They were devoted, devoted to inclusion of other people. I want to move to the next part of this text because it's my favorite. And uh, I'll probably blast by the final part of this message because I'm about to just bust into this middle part of the sermon. But I just I want to pause and tell you, listen, everybody here, you and a who, that's how we do small groups now. You and somebody. Talk about the sermon. It's very easy. If you get on our website every week, by this afternoon, there will be a guide on how to discuss this sermon. So just call a friend. Say, hey, watch the message from my church or go to LifePoint and whatever. And, and Tuesday afternoon over coffee, let's talk about it. We will give you the notes. Just host the conversation, you and a who. And then always make sure you pray together and say, hey, what do you need? And then talk about next steps together. Hey, have you been baptized? Have you, joined, have you joined a dream team? Hey, are you serving people in the community? Are you giving generously? Just ask next step questions. It's really simple to do life with somebody else. You and who, it's the best thing we do. Amen, everybody? Now, I'm about to really get my preach on. Now, I got to do this four times, so as you just amen me as much as you want, but I'm going to be real tired today. They were devoted to some, some devo they were committed to some devotions, but they were committed to a biblical worldview. And I'm telling you, I feel like the Holy Spirit himself just illuminated this off the text for me this week. 
Because this is a passage of scripture that we just read like, and born drove to Prague. I mean, it's just this kind of transitional passage that if we're not careful, we just oversee what happens here. But we see right away, I mean, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Judas is dead by suicide. All these disciples are in Jerusalem in a rented upper room, I guess, and they're all together just waiting for an unknown period of time with no end in sight. They're anxious. They're probably in hiding because they don't know if their lives are at risk for following Jesus, if they would be crucified like their master. And they're hiding out in this upper room in Jerusalem waiting until God knows when, literally. Can you imagine the chaos of that day? Like who's sleeping where? Who's feeding us? Where's the food? Did anyone pay the cable bill in this upstairs room? Do we have Netflix here? Have you showered lately? Judas, the other Judas, man, you stink. I mean, like, crazy days. Crazy. Imagine going camping with 120 people glamping in an upstairs room. And your master said, just wait till, till I'm ready. It's chaos. Well, watch what happens. So Peter stood up among them. The company of the persons was in all about 120. That's how many people are in this upper room. That's a lot of folks. There were no big banquet halls, by the way, in this day. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, about 120 all, in, in, and he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit, now he's given precedence to God authoring the Bible, look, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. That means at some point in the conversation, they start talking about what happened with Judas. Can you believe that derelict, that scrub? He sold our master out, and they're getting mad, and they're talking about him. And then, and then they're like, and then he had the nerve to go and hang himself. Matthew's gospel says that in his grief, he went out in the field and hung himself. In fact, the commentary Luke gives is pretty gross. It said he threw himself headlong, and his guts burst open into a field. Anybody else think that's weird, gross? So somehow it came up, and Peter's response was to calm the room down by quoting the Bible to him. I just find this incredibly brilliant. He said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He goes on to quote the Bible. He, he tell, you know, Luke tells what's ha what happened in verse 20. Peter says, it's written in the book of Psalms, and he quotes two Psalms, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. May his camp be desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And he's talking about the fact that they end up calling this field where Judas killed himself this, this field of blood, and no one ever used it again. He said, may his camp be desolate. That's quoting from the Old Testament. And then in verse uh, 20, Peter quotes Psalm 109, and let another person take his office. I just find this incredibly brilliant. It's my favorite part of the whole passage. Think about again what's going on. Their Lord has been crucified brutally, buried, resurrected, so he comes back, and now he's just ascended to the right hand of the Father. How many of you think like this? He, this is a, it's like incredibly exciting, but also incredibly fear-inducing, right? Like, where are you going? Oh, we're so glad you're doing what you said, but man, we'd love for you to stay. And then they're as a group in Jerusalem waiting till God knows when, till the Holy Spirit shows up. You can consider they're in hiding. One of the 12 disciples, the one that's been with them every day for three and a half years, turns out to be a traitor. And now he's killed himself. He won't even be held accountable because he's committed suicide. There's just a lot going on. 
But here's how a leader responds when times are crazy. We look to the Bible and we give direction and we bring hope and we bring clarity to what was happening. (laughs) Peter literally quotes the scripture. People want to say Peter was just an idiot or he was just some dumb fisherman. Man, Peter was a student of scripture so much so that he was able to quote it when they were in chaos. Peter quotes the scripture. He didn't ask everybody, well, what do you think? He didn't go scroll through their timelines to get a bunch of opinions. He didn't check with national news or community leaders. He didn't look for a popular poll. He consults the word of God. He even gives credit to the Holy Spirit for talking about this way back in the day. Here's what Peter does. He goes, guys, God knew this was going to happen. God's not freaked out by this. God wasn't scared about this. And, And I'm sure Peter never like read Psalm 69 and 109 while hanging out with Jesus going, that's got to be Judas one day. Right? It's after the fact he goes, I know what this is. I know what's happening here. He was able to reference the word that was hidden in his heart and bring it to bear to bring people confidence and calmness and peace in their storm. Listen, I want to say this as bluntly as I know how. If ever we need this type of leadership and language and attitude in the world, it's today, it's right now. And the church is the only people group that should be proclaiming the word of God with boldness and confidence to go, this is that. The Bible says the spirit is speaking and we need to be the people who are proclaiming the word of God like never before. I'm telling you. The church has to come alive with a biblical worldview. And I pray that the people of God would speak up in our world and speak into our culture by confessing and proclaiming not your good opinions, not your moral ideas, but proclaiming the word of God. We must formulate, listen to me, write this word down. Some of you have never even heard this. We must formulate a biblical worldview. We have to formulate a biblical worldview. If we're going to speak to the world as the world spirals into chaos, does anybody else think our world is kind of bonkers right now? It's so easy to get the social media worldview, but that's not always right. It's so easy to get the Fox News or the CNN or the Tucker Carlson worldview or the Don Lemon worldview, but that's not God's word. It's even easy to get Christians' worldviews that aren't bathed in Scripture. It doesn't take long to jump into your own echo chambers and hear what all your echoes are saying, repeating the things that your cheerleaders are saying, but that's not the worldview that reflects God's holy word. Let me give you some examples. It's 2021, y'all. What a day we are living in. Our culture is screaming at us with bizarre views on gender and sex and sexuality. And can I tell you, no matter how loud that gets, God's word said that God created us male and female. And his word teaches us his design for marriage and his design for family and his design for sex. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I don't love those who don't believe the worldview. But it means I'm going to go, but this is what God's word says. We're not going to pull the, 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 we're not going to poll all of the 11. We're going to go what the Holy Spirit says, the Scripture says. 
What about this overwhelming sense of fear and heightened anxiety related to COVID-19, whether or not to get a vaccine or not to get a vaccine, wearing masks and social distancing, or this is all a hoax, or the CDC and Fauci. This is, in fact, a very real virus with incredible effects on many people. But the Bible says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So listen, we're not going to fear. We're also not going to be crazy. Either, either way. Some of you are like, finally, he's saying something. They're crazy. And the others are, they're crazy. Soundness means we, we, we land with, with wisdom and discernment and grace. A biblical worldview tells us that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but common sense, a sound mind, power and love. The Bible also says, love your neighbor. Don't find reasons to have new enemies. I can't believe that they believe this, or I can't believe they don't believe that. But the Bible says love your neighbor. I can love you no matter what you think about what's happening in this world. I can love you. The Bible says to mourn with those who mourn. Listen, you know who I love? My friend Gerald Brooks, he's a pastor. He says all these government leaders that are making decisions for our world are not the ones doing funerals for the people that die. That's what pastors are doing. And let me tell you something. I've wept with those who have wept over COVID-19. And you might think whatever you want to think, but that don't change weeping with those who weep. And not, the Bible says, don't become a stumbling block to anyone. The biblical worldview says if someone is weak in their faith or understanding, you don't beat your understanding into them, but we love them. And we show honor and grace and patience. Stop fighting with people who disagree with you. Biblical worldview. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Peter says, look, it's chaotic. Our master's gone. Our buddy's a traitor, and he's committed suicide. What do we do? Well, the Bible says. Our culture says. Our culture is trying desperately to divide us against one another in regards to race, economy, gender. But a biblical worldview, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons, and we shouldn't be either. I don't care if you're black or white. Hispanic, Asian, I love you. I'm for you. I want to serve you. I don't care if you're a Christian, an atheist, a Buddhist, a Muslim. I love you, and I want to tell you about the gospel. I'm not better than anybody, and no one else is better than anybody, because the Bible says we are all one in Christ. Everyone has God's image, whether you're black or white. Listen to me. Whether you're black or white or Asian, Hispanic, Indian, rich, poor, you matter. Your life matters. All of us are made in the image of God, whether you're male or female, sinner or saint. I'm not dismissing any statement here. I'm affirming that every person is intrinsically built with the image of God on the inside of them. Therefore, I love you because Jesus died for you just like he died for me. And in Christ, we are brothers and sisters. And if you want to divide yourself against somebody because of the color of their skin, you have a worldly worldview, not a biblical one. Our world says, do whatever makes you happy, smoke what makes you feel good, drink to get the edge off. Use what you need to help you relax. But the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, some trust in horses and chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Don't be drunk on anything. We're not to be controlled, manipulated, drunk, high, intoxicated on anything. I don't, it doesn't matter if the laws allow it. We have a biblical worldview. We're to be filled with the Spirit. Script, the culture says, cancel those who disagree with you. 
But the Bible says, love those who are your enemies and make disciples of Jesus, not disciples of you. If we would spend as much time on social media helping people agree with Jesus as we have been trying to help them agree with us, we need a biblical worldview. Hey, here's what the Bible says. Be nice. Just be nice. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Bible says this is how you live as a Christian. Hate, anger, animosity, impatience, not all the opposites of everything I just said. <laughs> not kindness, not faithfulness. That's the worldly worldview. So as I'm reading Acts 1, I'm really challenged a lot. I'm challenged with, does serving God cost me anything? As a martyr, as a witness. I'm challenged with, do I love my neighbors? I'm challenged with, does my Jerusalem... Does the neighborhood I live in, does the part of town that I live in, does my community, are they hearing anything about the Lord because I live in it? Because he said, I'll be a witness here first. I can't be so consumed with Tanzania that I'm not consumed with Sangonia. <laughs> Y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm preaching in Tanzania in September, but I got to preach in Sango first. I'm convicted by Acts chapter 1. I'm, I'm hearing where Jesus says, don't worry about the times and seasons. Let God do what he's going to do, and you be faithful to what I've called you to do. I'm challenged with my obedience. If Jesus said, stand up and go to the 730 service, will I just go do what he said? If he says, hey, hey, you ready? Watch this. You ready? If Jesus says, which he does, serve other people, am I going to just do it and not qualify? Well, I don't have time. Well, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what team I can serve. I don't, I don't know. If God's word says give a tithe of your income to the Lord because it's how God wants to move the gospel forward, am I going to just obey? I'm challenged with that. I'm challenged with that. And I'm challenged here with do I carry a biblical worldview? Because it's so easy to carry a worldly worldview right now. And it's popular and it's trendy. And look, if you can get super loud on your platforms or if you can find your echo chambers or your groups to agree with you, you'll feel like a king. But we're not called to be kings. We're called to be servants and make much of the king of kings. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? Are y'all getting this biblical worldview? So let me tell you plainly how to grow in your biblical worldview. This is like rocket science. You ready? You need to write this down. It will change your life. This is the secret of how to grow in your biblical worldview. Are you ready? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Listen, hey, before you hear Fox News again, read your Bible. Before you listen to MSNBC, read your Bible. Before you scroll on Instagram or Facebook and get the collective wisdom of this world, read your Bible. Billy Graham made a comment once. He was on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And he told Johnny Carson, he said, 
the whole New Testament has less actual words in it than the Sunday New York Times. And people read the entire Sunday paper all the time. He goes, people say, I can't read the Bible. It's, I don't understand it. It's too many words. I guarantee you read more words on your computer every week than are written in the New Testament of your Bible. We need a biblical worldview, so read your Bible. Get into the Bible. Get into the Word of God. So I've challenged you today. Get in a small group. Get in the Word. <laughs> this is the point, easiest way to tell you there's no substitute for reading the Bible. I love you. I have to tell you honestly, the only way to have peace in the midst of chaos is to stand on God's Word, is to live out God's Word. The only way to be centered and grounded when the world is going to hell in a handbasket is to know the Word of God, believe the Word of God, stand on the Word of God, and share the Word of God. When everything was upside down for these followers of Jesus, their Lord was gone. Their friend was dead. They were hiding and waiting. They read the Bible. By the way, the Bible is not Jesus, but it points us to Jesus. The word of God is alive and active. God breathed, profitable. It's sharp. It's powerful. It'll teach you and instruct you how to believe and how to behave. It's our defense against the devil. It's our offense to help us keep our life centered and focused on the Lord. So now what? I got to finish the message. Because I'm committed to being done on time. <laughs> so I had a third point to the sermon, but you're going to go study this because you're going to read your Bible today. They were committed to certain devotions. They were committed to a biblical worldview. And they were committed to godly leadership. So they have this problem. They got a gap in the 12 disciple loop. They got to fill it. And honestly, I'm not an advocate for the way that they filled the, loop, the, filled the hole. But they wanted a 12th disciple, so it says they put forward two people, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. They prayed, which is great. They prayed first, and they prayed. They said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take place in the ministry of apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go into his own place. Honestly, they should have just stopped there and waited on the Lord. But they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet because he hadn't been poured out. Remember that? So they prayed, and then they rolled the dice. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias. I'm just going to give you a general leadership nugget as Christians. We don't roll the dice on figuring out God's will. We pray, and we wait on God to speak. They did this because they didn't know how to hear from God yet. They only knew Jesus in the flesh. They didn't know God in the spirit. So they cast lots and threw dice, and the dice fell on Matthias, and he was numbered among. And, and honestly, I think God graced that, and he blessed He's like, well, you didn't know any better. That's fine. But this is not the way that we figure out the will of God. We didn't design this building with a dice roll. We didn't figure out we're going to plant on the north side of town by rolling the dice. We didn't just come up with an idea and go, you know what, let's just take it to the lottery. We pray and we wait for God. But here's what I love about this. They knew they needed leaders, godly leaders. So they prayed and they sought the Lord about that. Can I challenge you to always pray? that godly leaders lead. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the team at this church. Some of you have the call of ministry leadership on your life, and you need to submit to that and step into that, whatever it is, whether you're serving in your church or serving as the, the apostolic leader to your, 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 your job. But they prayed about leadership, which is important. So look, I want to leave us today. You can go study this part out on your own. I want to leave us today with some encouragement, but really some next steps. Realize from this text, it's important to have right commitments if we're going to honor God and his church. Isn't it interesting how this little narrative passage taught us so much? First of all, what if we would be committed to obeying Jesus? Hey, can everybody just look at me real quick? Don't, put it, don't leave, just stay here. What if we actually committed to obeying the Lord? 
if our speech reflected that I'm going to obey God, if our banking reflected that we're going to obey God and our generosity and our serving others just said, it's because I'm obeying God. And others may not get it. Your own spouse may go, what in the world are you doing? And you can respond by going, I'm trying to obey the Lord. What if we were actually a people who obeyed God? You know, one of the greatest hindrances to the growth of the church is hypocritical Christians who won't obey God. What in the world do we have to offer by saying, God will change your life. God wants you in his family. And yet we don't live like we're part of his family. So what if we would just obey God? Just decide today, I'm going to obey God. Obeying God doesn't make you saved. It's because you're saved you obey God. So obey his word, obey his spirit, obey his leadership. Just decide today, I'm going to obey God, number one. Second, what if we just committed to doing life in a group with other believers like they did here? You don't have to sweat it out in an upper room with 120 people. You can probably do it in an air-conditioned bonus room in someone's small group. And they have, like, snacks. In fact, I need a list of all the good snack makers because I need to start visiting groups. Pastor, prayer, you know what I'm saying. It's important. I can't stress enough how important this is for your spiritual health. God wants to bless you, to speak to you, to encourage you, and he wants to do that for you but with others. So join a group today. Get on our website. Join a group this week, lifepointchurch.tv. It's the best thing we do here. So first, obey. what if we obey God? What if we join a group? And third, what if we would be a people committed to the word of God? I'll tell you, one of the, one of the struggles we have is that we can't even articulate God's will and God's heart for the culture around us. And that's not God's fault. That's our fault. Because we won't stay here and park ourselves here. I want to encourage everybody to set an appointment on your calendar. I mean, could you imagine if Jesus Christ came to Clarksville or wherever you're at in Montana and he said, hey, I'm going to be here for 20 minutes every day this week and I want to meet with you. Would anybody else clear their schedule? It doesn't matter who you're meeting with. You would just clear your schedule and get yourself 10 minutes early to that meeting to have a one-on-one FaceTime with Jesus. Anybody else think that'd be pretty cool? Hey, Christians, please say yes to that. Okay, just check. That's the invitation God gives you by saying, spend time in my word and spend time with me. Make an appointment on your calendar every day and keep it. But spend time in his word. You go, I don't understand it. I didn't understand it when I started reading it. And look at me, I'm preaching it to you guys. There's still places in here where I write question marks. And I go, okay, God, I got a question in heaven about that one. That don't make no sense. I go call Randy. What the heck is that? He goes, "Mm mm-hmm. All right. I go, well, I ain't preaching that one. (laughs) Just what if we would be people who obey Jesus, who do life in groups like he's designed, and people who just live with a framework of a biblical worldview. Here's one of the things I can guarantee you. You will live with a lot more peace. You know how Jesus says he's the prince of peace? Some of us are living in chaos. If you'll obey God, do life with others, and have a biblical worldview, you'll start walking in peace, I promise you. You'll say no to things that don't make sense in your life anymore. You'll say no to people that don't make sense in your life anymore. You'll start walking, you'll watch the news differently and go, well, not surprised the scripture says and you'll have a life of peace can I hear a big amen everybody come on if you're joining us anywhere around the room just let's bow our heads and pray together father we love you thank you for your word thank you God that you would challenge us to have a an obedience heart a family heart God a a life together heart today as we see in the New Testament 
God, that we would have a desire to have a, live out a biblical worldview, that we'd be committed to Scripture and to your word, believing that you breathed it into existence and it's good for us. So God, would you call us to our prayer closet, call us to a place of obedience, call us to a place of biblical living and biblical worldview. God, we just commit ourselves to this text today. We commit ourselves to walking this out and living in a way that pleases you every day in Jesus' name. And I just ask everybody sitting around, come on, just can, can you open your hands to the Lord? Just pray this with me. Say, God, I've heard this word. May it transform me for the rest of my life. I receive your Holy Spirit. I receive the word of God. I receive the salvation of Jesus. And I will live for you. I will live with you. I'll do life with others for the rest of my life. Come on, say, save me, Lord. Transform me. Teach me by your word and by your Holy Spirit. Now, come on, pray this and mean it. We pray it every week. Say, God, I'm all in. I believe in Jesus, that he died for me so I can live for him for the rest of my life. To God be the glory in Jesus' name. Have you been blessed today, LifePoint Church? Have you been blessed today, LifePoint Church? Come on, what a word. Don't leave here the same.